And so we'll get started. I'm sure there'll be other people who are joining. We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala. We seek blessings upon the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So, so, uh, so many familiar faces, mashallah. I want to welcome you all. Um, just to give you a very brief evolution of the class and the goals of the class. Uh, Malahat, Brother Malahat, Dr. Malahat Qureshi was looking for, wanted me to teach a, a short class on modernity. And first and foremost, uh, usually uh, I avoid those types of philosophical classes because uh, I think uh, uh, they often get too lost in the ideas. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, he, uh, you know, he, he felt it would be beneficial. And so just going through whatever it is that I knew and going through whatever I've studied or taught in terms of books, I thought it would be a good idea to go through this book by an anthropologist. His name is Talal Asad. All of you know his father. Who's his father? Anyone know? As soon as we mentioned Muhammad Asad. Muhammad Asad, the, the translator of the Quran. Um, uh, and I think Talal Asad has also passed away. Muhammad Asad passed away some time ago. And poor Talal Asad was at least very sick. And, and so he wrote this book called Formations of the Secular. And I thought we can have a, a partially informal discussion oriented class going through the introduction. And what I mean by this is that I'm not going to be directly teaching, here's what he says, here's what secularism is. Uh, I think all of us know as much of secularism at the governmental level that, that we need to know or care to know, right? Which is essentially separation of, of, of religion from, from governance. What this book uh, brings in will be all types of ideas that you may not realize are secular in terms of the practice of religion. And so, so our approach is going to be literally just to slowly go through the introduction of the book which is laying out some of the arguments and theories of the book. And we're going to just reflect. So again, this is not, this is going to be a close reading of the book, but we're going to see wherever our, our ideas go. And so I'll be leading discussion. I'll be guiding discussion because sometimes I have an idea of what the conclusion is or should be. But if we go on some uh, small tangents, that's perfectly fine. Yeah especially because most of all of us know each other. And so, so that uh, allows us to get into some more free-form discussion too. And, and so, so ground rules are basically uh, just that you have to be polite. <laughs> that's, that's about it. If you do have questions, if you do want to uh, make any comments, feel free to use whatever approach. And if we find out it's not working, it won't work. And what I mean by this is either you can just unmute and start speaking, or you can, uh, if your camera's on, raise your hand and I'll try to call on you. Or you can click on the raise hand feature uh, for those of you who have it on your Zoom. Um, any, any approach is fine. And then if it turns out that something's not working, then, then, then we'll address it that, uh, uh, later. So the duration of the class, we will go, our goal for each day, each Saturday is 30 to 40 minutes, maximum of one hour. And in terms of, of, of weeks, 
uh, as, we'll go as far as we, we do until either we complete the introduction, the introduction is two parts, or until we, uh, until we read the Ramadan. So Ramadan is literally how many weeks away? About six weeks away. So six Saturdays. Uh, this is going to be recorded. I'm not going to post a video, but I'll probably post the audio. And so those of you who, who don't want to show your, your beautiful Marcella faces, you're, you're okay. But I do request, especially because we all know each other, uh, literally almost all of us know everyone else, uh, to use your camera if your bandwidth permits uh, just so that we can all see everyone else. Having said that, um, let's start the discussion right away. When uh, Does everyone see uh, my, my Kindle screen? It says thinking about secularism. Yes. Not, yeah, okay, good. Uh, so initial yes. question, when you hear the word secularism, what do you think? Anybody? And feel free also to use a chat box if you want to. So uh, separation of uh, religion uh, and state. Yeah, so that's the most common understanding we have, separation of religion and state. Uh, Brother Khaled, it looks like you were saying something, but you're muted. Yeah, on the same lines uh, that uh, the, the secular is more like worldly mm -hmm. as compared to religious. So really the keeping the religion out of the, what is defined, you know, within the courts, really, you know, the, the, the worldly matters. Yeah. And so, so often we would translate, translate secular as dunyawi. Right? Yep. And sometimes the, when we use this word, we're saying it's the opposite of sacred. That on the one hand, we have sacred. And on the other hand, we have the secular. And so Mossab says it's part of the era of postmodernism. I would say it's, it's, even, it's especially part of the era of, modern, of modernity itself. And, and secularization which we'll talk a bit, is the shifting of institutions and primarily European phenomenon. But our goal is to see as we go through this text, you know, what and how much is this relevant to us? I mean, the fact that uh, most of us are either in a Western country or Western influence country still means this applies to us, even if we say Europe. But secularization usually means the shift from a religious authority running the institution to a non-religious authority running the institution. So we talk about government. This is often very common in the issue of social services. Secularization, uh, for example, charity um, is that the, the religious institution is no longer handling charity or a non-religious institution is leading the way in terms of charity and then by extension social services. Those are usually where we speak of. So having said that, let's jump right into this. Now, another ground rule is that someone else is going to have to be reading and we're gonna keep, you know, different people read at different times. So I'm gonna ask for people to volunteer to read and then I'm going to interrupt uh, with questions and comments. So who would like to read this first paragraph? I could read it. In English or Urdu? <laughs> I don't know how to read Urdu. You can read with Urdu accents, but okay. Uh, also, we're also not going to force all the young people to do the reading. All of us old geezers are going to have to read too and participate. Okay, Mustafa, go for it. What is the connection between the secular as an epistemic category and secular, secularism as a political doctrine? Can they be objects of anthropological inquiry? What might an anthropology of secularism look like? This book attempts in a preliminary way to address these questions. Okay, so those of you who have the book, 
Uh, I recommend getting the book, but you don't have to, but uh, I recommend getting it. Uh, but yeah, this is literally the first paragraph in the introduction. So now we have a couple big terms here. Epistemic category is one, whoops. Uh, political doctrine is another one. Anthropological inquiry is another one. And so let's try to define these. Um, uh, can anyone define for us, what do we mean by epistemology? This is one of those $500 words that, um, you know, yeah, yeah, I mean, generally it means the way you get your knowledge, what's the source. Yeah. And so basically, epistemology is the knowledge of knowledge. And so, so to take a, a, a step back, think of the foundation of the Western Academy versus the Islamic Seminary, or the Western Academy versus the Madrasa. They're answering two different questions. And so the madrasa is answering the question, what does Allah Ta'ala want from me? And then the source material, you and I all know, Quran, Sunnah, Sira, so forth and so on. And then the Western Academy is asking the question or answering the question, how does the world work? And so by saying, how does the world work? Uh, the most common field is the sciences. The sciences are saying the world works in patterns that we can identify and in some cases reproduce. So you have the hardcore sciences that says these are the patterns related to matter. You have the people sciences, which says these are the, the patterns related to people. Okay. Now, epistemology is then one of these philosophical questions saying, how does knowledge work? And so a big aspect of knowledge, for example, is how do we categorize things? And categories are one of the big issues where power exerts itself. So for example, in a lot of political discussions today, what is one of the big category arguments and fights? in, in uh, the United States, but it's happening all over the world. I mean, it's related even to toys like Mr. Potato Head. What is the fight? What is the epistemological, or what is the category fight, I should say? Anyone know? I mean, you all know this. It is, what is gender? And so is gender a two thing, you know, male and female? Is it non-binary? That's a category fight. Uh, Khaled, you were about to say something. Um, no, I'm sorry. So, so even in American society, race is a question of categories. Is it just one human race or how are people organized? And so epistemology on the one hand is a simple question, a philosophical question in the pursuit of knowledge. And like we said, in the academy, you'll have, you know, knowledge is organized. If something is a science, it's on this side. If it's not a science, then it's arts and humanities. But it's also a fundamental tool for power. Defining what is a human being was part of, of uh, the history of the United States. That if you are white, that was the racial category. You're a full human being. If you are African-American, you're three-fifths of the human being at most. And so this is an issue that comes up. So if we were to ask from the perspective of Dean, what are some categories? 
meaning coming from our primary sources. Yeah, Uh So, in, I mean, the epistemological, uh, we can say that it's really, we consider Quran and Sunnah the source. And so the Quran and Sunnah has their own ways of uh, explaining certain things, right? The uh, for example, you know, the, the dunya, what is dunya, for example, versus akhira, or um, also in uh, defining, you know, the, the, to some extent, really, the gender roles, right? What is the concept of kist? What is adult? Uh, you know, the, the concept of justice, right? Uh, the, uh, also, uh, the, our epistemology provides some of the, um, the background that, for example, you know, why, uh, if God exists, you know, why there's so much suffering, right? So all these philosophical, uh, para paralonial, what you call that, you know, big word, these questions that, you know, uh, uh, cannot be 100% philosophically answered, right? Where we come from, uh, where we're going, you know, uh, what's going to happen when we die and all those sort of things. So we can categorize really things in that way. And okay. so okay. the... I think the one difference between that that I see in system, uh, you know, the, using uh, duniyavi and deen, uh, we usually take a very dogmatic approach to things, right? The, uh, you know, this is halal or haram, there's no uh, room for argument and things like that. I think this is what is one of the biggest differences between uh, uh, our epistemology and really the secular, where they draw stuff, where everything is really up out there, you know, uh, subject to be challenged and, you know, to follow, you know, what most people want. Yeah. So, so uh, as a general uh, issue of ideas, yeah, I'd say so. Uh, but simple, simple question. Uh, what would be among the most simple categorizations of anything that the Quran gives us? So we said in our society, gender is, is, is an issue of category where people are differentiated. Race is a category where people are, are, are differentiated. We could say political party, but in terms of the Quran, right from page one, page two. Uh, idea right or wrong, even easier. Uh, Musab has it. What is, uh, it's Muslim or not Muslim. I mean, that is one of the fundamental categories of the whole book. Isn't it? Sure. Yeah. And, and uh, everything you're saying, Khaled, is correct. And what I'm saying is just right from the start, the Quran gives us a category. You have the muttaqin, you have the kuffar, and then without identifying it, you have, you have monafics. So, so this is also part of, of the outlook here. Now, who is included, who is not included, that's a separate point, but uh, we have that in our system. Political doctrine, I think we all understand. <laughs> And, and, and so we've already talked about this, the separation of, of church and state and then and the consequences there. And this is also basically saying, where is power? Where does power get exerted? Anthropological inquiry. Uh, what is a difference, uh, what is a basic difference between anthropology versus sociology versus some of the other human sciences? Anyone wanna take a stab at it? Like anthropology, the literal meaning is the study of people. Sociology is the study of societies. But what is anthropology focused on? The nature of humans. Okay, so 
Yeah. Now let's make it even more specific because that's also psychology. That's also economics. That's also history. So more, even more specific. The behavior and attitude. So get even closer behavior would still be sort of like psychology. And so anthropology is looking for how do people do those things that we would call culture. So sociology is more how do people organize in terms of institutions, movements, groups. Institutions or anthropology is saying, okay, aside from all of those things, you know, how do people organize their day in this particular culture? How do people eat? All those ultra particular things. And that is what we're going to be seeing a lot of places where secularism uh, is present. And right now, some of this might still be abstract, and, and, and don't worry, those things that are abstract and hard to understand, we probably don't need to understand them. Um, but what is the fundamental question here? It's basically saying, is there a relationship between secularism at the government level and, and this idea in terms of how it affects a person's religious life? How much is a person's religious life secular and they don't realize it? Well, there's a lot of factors that go into that. I mean, it could be, it depends on the nature of the uh, socio-political state they live in. Okay, so, so talk about Detroit. So that's a social-political state or Chicago or a common Muslim house. I'll give you one example of something. Say it again. 95% is secular. Okay, it, it might be that 95% of life is secular. And I'm even saying, think about the religious aspects of life. So a point we're going to be seeing later on is, uh, okay, let me put it like this. <clears throat> when we are learning the Quran, what should be the consequences of learning? Quran specifically. So practicing, action. Action should be one of the fundamental consequences of learning Quran. Obviously the Quran is affecting, is focusing on our thinking. Obviously the Quran is focusing on, on other aspects, but it should result in action. And so think of those religious elements in your house that are not action related. For example, calligraphy. Uh, most of us probably have some sort of, of Quran and calligraphy in our house. You know, either the, a lot of people have the quls or a dua or something. I literally am looking at you right here. How would that be secular? What do you think? So the question is that you're saying this is a hanging, for example, a kul on the wall, is it a secular act versus a religious? So I'm, say, uh, so I'm saying that we usually think of it as a religious act. And what we're going to be discussing in this introduction of this book is that's a secular act. And the key point, as Malahat is saying, is that there's no practice there. It is taking the Quran and turning 
it into a piece of decoration. So here I might have an eye of the Quran and there I might have a picture, uh, a painting of, of flowers and there I might have a picture of my family. So we're not saying this is wrong, but I'm suggesting that we're going to find there's a lot of places in our house that might have the appearance of Dean, but in this language is actually secular. Now I might say I put that up with the intention that that reminds me. Okay. So now there's so, a little bit of action there. Yeah. So I, I, I have a question. Yes, sir. So, so on the same line, for example, just uh, uh, merely mindless reading of the Quran. Right, because this was never, ever really intended um, for the audience that, you know, how this is not how the Quran really presented itself. And this was not the case in earlier, uh, you know, the, the centuries of Islam, right? The, especially in Mecca and Medina. And they, they, those people were basically moved, really, you know, by just doing this tadabbur, tafakkur, you know, kaifa tahkumun, yahkumun, you know, all these things. So, what we have really done with the Quran in in last few centuries turned that into just like uh, a calligraphy on the wall. Mm -hmm. You know, if you don't do that, then really just totally because you know uh, I've been in Pakistan for the last couple of months, and we really I mean that thing I noticed a lot more that even with the religious people, I mean they've been studying the Quran for months and years, but really I was delivering some sermons in the masjid for Juma Juma sermon. And the, the, one of the biggest questions that people would come after, they will wait literally outside and they will ask me that, uh, Punjabi, mein na, ye Quran mein hai? Ye Quran I mean, they, I mean, so what would you, where would you categorize this? Mm -hmm. Is this, can we say that this is also like a secular act then really? Because you're not really, uh, reading the Quran for really to understand or really to do an act, amal, you know, what you mentioned earlier, because in religious context, you know, when you read, knowledge has a, uh, as a consequence, really, you are, you are more, more you know, the more you are in trouble, right? Mm -hmm. Because the more you are uh, uh, supposed to really, you know, put those things in action. So what, okay. what would you say? Okay, so what I'm hearing in your question, uh, the first point is, if it's secular, it's bad. So that definition, I don't want to, uh, us to take. The key point I'm making is that if it's secular, it's not being. Okay. And, and so... Uh, if I am listening to recitation okay, as background sound, meaning the next person is doing the same thing with music, then potentially that's just secular. Sort of like what you talked about at the beginning of your question, mindless recitation. Okay. Is it good or bad? That's a separate conversation. And we'd probably say there's a better way to listen to Quran. Right? But, yeah. uh, but the basic point being, so the first point being is, I'm not saying secular is good or bad. That's a separate point. But secular is not being. And so if recitation, if it's beautiful, if it's uh, something decoration on the wall or decoration of the tongue, uh, without thought, without action, then it's probably secular. Yeah. Which is cool. essentially that much of the role of Quran in our community is secular. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Umar, this is really a, a question that really bothered me for quite some years, really, in my early uh, 
learning really when we were studying the Quran. Yeah. That the, 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 you just mentioned this word, right? The, somehow automatically we are programmed through our uh, fundamental teachings of the Islam uh, or whatever we were taught, right? The, you know, with the Maulvi Sahib or with the Madrasa or whatever in the household, that we somehow, when the word secular is mentioned, we automatically make the connection that with the bad. Right. Right? It's something really which is discouraged, which is really not liked. You know, it's, it's duniyavi. Even though, uh, I mean, that's clear from the Quran, you know, the, it's not the case, Manharram Allah, right? The, it's not really the case. And then also, Rasulullah. Oh, by the way, uh, everyone, if you're, if you're quoting uh, anything in a different language, especially Quran and Hadith, please translate for everyone else, too. Yeah. Yes. So this is the, the uh, I think, from Surah Anfal, right? So who has really made haram the beauty of Allah subhanahu that he created, especially for the believers? And the non believers really just get because of, you know, the believers. So, the uh, uh, that comes into the the the, the fununa latifa, right? The art and other things that we do, which can be really categorized as a secular. But what I'm saying over here is that you know this connection between secular being bad is really very un-Islamic because we know this uh, Rasulullah told us, right? The uh, uh, in in Medina, everybody probably over here knows that you know when Rasulullah went to Medina, he saw first time really you know these uh, Ansar because they were uh, cultivator. They were really farmers, you know, doing this uh, act of, you know, bringing, you know, the uh, the male and the female uh, uh, palm trees together and, you know, doing some uh, hybrid thing to have more yield. And Rasulullah said that, you know, why do you do that? Allah is the Razak, right? And then later on, when there was less yield, and then when they uh, they came to Rasulullah saying that, you know, you said this and, you know, as a result, we don't have much... Uh, uh, less yield this year. So Rasulullah really gave, you know, this very uh, cardinal rule. Uh, uh, he said that, you know, right? So what is that? The Rasul or the messengers primarily, they don't come to really teach you or tell you that, you know, how, how your engine is going to work, how you're going to make a combustion engine. How, it, they, there are guidelines, but really you are supposed to make systems and things based on those guidelines, right? So this idea of really that, I don't know where it came from really, but I generally I see that also, just like you spotted really, that uh, whenever we talk about Islam is something good, you know, the, uh, but anything secular is bad. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I mean, the, this, is, uh, this is a problem. I don't know where, yeah, this is a problem, right? Yeah, yeah uh, I agree. And so uh, I don't think this comes from, <clears throat> from the dean. That from the Omar, the uh, Omar, just... Uh, just yeah, a quick Some people are waiting in the lobby. Well, I Let's haven't see see anybody listed. Okay. Uh, yeah, double check the, the link or... Um, yeah, I will. Yeah, okay. Thank you. For, yeah, I don't see anybody uh, there. Yeah. So yeah, any other thoughts, reflections? And you're also welcome to disagree with me or with anybody. Again, we're all friends, yeah. so this is especially... One, uh, one comment I have... Please. Um, is um, what, one of the things sometimes that we think about when we think about secularism is, uh, is an absence of religion, right? When we, say, um, when we say, you know, separation of religion and state, somehow it automatically uh, we imply as an absence of religion or, or ladinians, right? I think that's yeah. how we translate it or we're used to reading it in, in Urdu especially. Um, but in, in a Western context, doesn't it become more a freedom of religion 
as opposed to an absence of religion and, and trying to implement those types of, uh, of, of notions. And, and in that case, it's not necessarily meaning something bad, right? It could ju just simply means that you, you're free to practice and uh, you, you're still not being stopped uh, versus, you know, an absence, which would imply, uh, okay, no, we, we don't want anything to have to do with religion. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, uh, I would definitely reiterate the point that, uh, and just like Brother Khaled mentioned, that uh, in our thinking, we often associate secular with bad. Um, and we also often associate dunya with bad. And that uh, I want us to caution against. Um, uh, but uh, I think, uh, Brother Mosin, I think your point is interesting. So a freedom of or freedom from religion, yeah. Because why did secularism rise? When we look at the, the history of Europe, um, and in fact, it's probably easier if I just draw this. So I'm going to change the screen share for a second. And I think another question, just when I add what Mosin just Please. said, is, um, you know, not only that how the secularism arise, that how the secularism has become embodied so much in our psychological thought process that we cannot differentiate between the secularism that we are we are in there or not. So that's, I think that's that's something. That's, that's essentially one of the, the the big questions that we're going to be. That's yeah. part of yeah this this uh, whole discussion uh, over the course of these weeks is how secular we might be without even realizing it. Okay, so y'all can see the white uh, whites uh, whiteboard, yes. Yes. Okay, so, so for many of you, this is just going to be repeat uh, from, from things you've studied before or things we've all studied together before. So in terms of the narrative of the West, and the narrative of the West is not the same as the history of the West. In the 1500s, we have a number of big events. We have the Renaissance. And we'll talk what else is a big thing that takes place in the 1500s in Europe. Uh, separation of uh, church and state. Well, essentially, it's the Protestant Reformation. Reformation. So, uh, anyone in a nutshell, what was the heart of the focus of the Renaissance? Usually, when we're studying it in school, it's a Renaissance art and such. Anyone know what is the big feature of the Renaissance? And back then, they didn't say we're in the Renaissance. What's up? You're, you're about to say something. Uh, yes. Uh, basically, the Renaissance like uh, uh, resurrected the intellectual process of Europe. Okay, so that was a part of it. It is, it is the beginning of the restructuring of the economy. And then, and this is when we start seeing the, the rise of, of what we would call a credit system or a banking system. Meaning, I mean, we had things like this in, in the Muslim world where basically, uh, if I need to get money to Fozan and I can't reach him, I give money to Malahat and Malahat gives money to Fozan. And so this starts getting institutionalized by the Knights Templar. All people. Okay. And then what is the, the, what is the Protestant Reformation focused on? It's saying that, or Fozan, are you speaking? Yeah, you're on mute. Yeah, I, I can, I, I think that movement was really the, uh, primarily to interpret the Bible for themselves. Okay, why? Because uh, they, I think they saw that the, uh, uh, the religious text 
is manipulated mm-hmm. for the benefit of really the rulers, right? Mm-hmm. So they're uh, saying that the church has gotten corrupt. The Pope, yep. the bishops, they've gotten corrupt. That's point number one. And point number two is now because of the mass publication of the Bible, Gutenberg's Bible, now it's becoming cheap to buy, inexpensive to buy a Bible, whereas before papers were very expensive. And so now everyone can start getting a Bible eventually in their house. So I have a mind. I can study this for myself. I don't need the, in the Christian version, the ulama to, to, to study the Bible. And so it's breaking the authority or it's challenging the authority of the church two ways. One by just saying you're corrupt. And the other way is I don't need you to get closer to God. So, yeah, uh, Omar, uh, sorry to interrupt. Really, there's a, but before this escapes my mind, I see this happening today mm-hmm. because the back in the day uh, on the same line, right? The who has seen Bukhari? People would travel to one of my teacher. He traveled to uh, Azad Kashmir in Pakistan to study uh, Bukhari from somebody. Really, you go there. Uh, you, you basically serve them and you, you know how it used to be worked back in the day. Yeah. And because, you know, uh, then he learned that. Uh, most of us had never seen, you know, Mashaqit al-Masadi, you know, all those big books and, you know, the books of Sahasita, even, you know, the tafasir of the Quran was really not rampantly available, you know. Uh, the most households had really, you know, this Taj company Quran really with one translation. Now you have uh, all these Sahasita hadith, you can search in like Islam 360 app, right, on the with the root letter, mm-hmm. and you can put all those hadith you, with one word. You're going to bring all those ayahs of the Quran. So I see the same thing that you know the uh, uh, in in the the the, the typical uh, our ulama, the the traditionalist. What I if you may allow me you know, to use this word, they feel threatened with the same thing because the knowledge is now really, you know, just out there. Mm-hmm. And the everybody can really just quote from, the, even David Woods really send you link from the hadith, from the Sahih Muslim and stuff, really, you know, when he argue, makes his claim and things like that, right? So I see the same, like, you know, people like maybe me, you know, I can't really speak to anybody else. We are becoming more like Protestants within the Islam. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, people say, oh, you know, uh, which school you went to, you know, which, uh, you know, what is your credentials, you know, what is your qualification to, you know, can it, do you even know, you know, what does this mean or that mean? And I see this fight really happening. And I also see at the same time that the traditional school of thought is really losing ground very rapidly. They have already been rejected by the youth. And, you know, this, and I see the same stubbornness that we saw back in the day, you know, with the Pope and those, you know, they will not budge from their, uh, their thing. And really, this is, uh, am I correct in my assumption or really is it too much? So, so you made two big points here. One is, is the, uh, <laughs> uh, the, the disconnect uh, from the scholarly tradition because now I have access to all these books uh, uh, right in my home. And that's exactly the same thing, yes. And so this was essentially why when the Salafi movement was starting, a lot of people called it the, the Muslim version of the Protestants. And, and the other issue, you're talking about the disconnect of the youth. That's a, that's a whole uh, issue of its own. But the common point you're making is the, the uh, inability of the ulama to provide a relevant Islam. 
yeah, I mean, that would be the common element for, for why that's happening. Yeah. Thank you. So as, uh, as Kibriya was saying that, you know, like yeah. a TikTok taking over the imams. Yeah, totally. And, and who's the master in this room of, of TikTok? It's Kibriya himself. <laughs> and, and absolutely. I mean, but what does that also illustrate? Uh, building on, on, on uh, Brother Khaled's point is that there is a yearning for some sort of, of Islam. One of the points we'll be seeing later on, one of the points we'll be discussing later on, is that in the contemporary era, what is Islam for more and more people? It's basically your identity, which is not the same as saying your system of practice, your deen. And, and so it becomes part of your costume, the way race might be your identity, gender might be your identity, as opposed to your biology. And, and then your national affiliation will be your identity. Yeah, hold on. But I think that's, that's part and parcel of the signs of the Tiyama that uh, it's going to just become an identity to the point that near the end of time, the Muslim will just know la ilaha illallah maybe and nothing else. Mm -hmm. Meaning this could 100, it fits the prophecies absolutely, yeah. Um, uh, of course, the, the question would be, all right, just because it fits the prophecies, does it mean we're at the end of time? Maybe, maybe not. But yeah, it does, it does fit from that perspective. Yeah. Well, um, if yeah, I may add something, uh, one of the main drivers of the Protestant Re Reformation and the introduction of secularism in Europe was Professor Martin Luther. Mm -hmm. So my question is, was secularism in the Islamic world introduced by colonialism? Yes. Or was there a person like Martin Luther who was responsible for the secularization of the Islamic world? So this is something that we're going to try to include in our discussions because our whole structure is also very different. Because with the death of the prophet, peace be upon him, that type of authority was done. Whereas in Catholicism, that type of authority continues. And what do I mean? Someone who is present who has a direct connection to God. So that's the Pope in Catholicism. Protestant Christianity doesn't have anything like that. Judaism doesn't have anything like that. And then, and then we don't have that. And so it's almost like we're saying a secular structure may go back thousands of years. But that, that'll be something we'll probably discuss later on as we get into it. So, but to answer your question, um, uh, no, we don't have like a, a Martin Luther equivalent who, who caused this to happen. Okay, so we're already at 11.13, so let me just at least finish this, uh, this drawing. And, and, and so, and I'm just giving you very generalized dates here. We have the Enlightenment and the Industrial Revolution. And again, for a lot of us, this is uh, in old Tanzim lectures, this is all repeat, Industrial Revolution. And what was part of the core of the Enlightenment we said that in the Protestant Reformation, I don't need the church to get closer to God. In the Enlightenment, it's saying, I don't need religion to have a better life. That we can use philosophy, especially what we call empirical philosophy, to lead to figure out how to have a better life. That gives us a better life than what religion does. All those philosophers that we would hear about from that period, like Immanuel Kant and such, David Hume, John Locke, that's what they're arguing. Yeah. And then the Industrial Revolution is another big shift in the economy. 
Why? It's mass production. Now we can make everything cheaper and cheaper and of consistent quality. Whereas before people are making their own things individually. And so the quality was very, very high, but production slow. And so you don't make as much money, but now I can make, instead of taking, you know, one hour, a couple hours to make 10 dishes, I can make a thousand dishes in an hour and sell them. And of course, what this also means is I can also make many, many weapons very fast. And then we have, then we have the thing that we call the modern era and I'm calling it the science, uh, the science of the technical era. purposes. And here is when education now gets restructured with science at the top. And the belief is that science is going to answer everything. And what is also being said, we don't need philosophy to have a better life. We have science now. Science will give us a better life in all its different ways. And so then when we're talking about the era we're in now, and this is also the rise of the nation state, meaning it's the theoretical end of the empire, even though it's not really. It means that how are nation states organized? By your banking system. So for example, why don't we chop up Iraq into little pieces we mean the United States, because we're still keeping them with having a central bank. On the surface, the nation state is organized by your ethnicity, but it's more organized by the system of banking. And then we have the postmodern era, which is a big question mark. It's basically saying all the things we tried before didn't work. Because in the era of nation states, you also had World War I, you had World War II. And so more people were killed in World War II than all of human history uh, combined. Okay, so when does secularism begin? You can't really pinpoint a beginning, but you can uh, identify this evolution of our society. And so related to, to when does uh, imperialism begin? And so if we say this is period one, period two, period three, period four. Uh, when does imperialism, European imperialism begin? So with colonialism, I would say, uh, well, 1492, really, if you think about it. Begins with number one. Yeah. And what was part of, what was the goal of 1492? Take Muslims out of Europe. Take, take away their power. Well, or to take uh, power officially to the church. And it just happens that Muslims are in the way. And more than that, it is to get the gold of the new world. And what's interesting is that while that's taking place, uh, you have the Sultan in Morocco who's writing letters to England saying, how do we stop these people? But that's a whole separate, separate conversation. Okay. So, so we're basically uh, already at uh, 11.20 uh, Chicago time. And, and so what are some of the key points from today's discussion? Number one, when we usually define secular, it means dunyawi. Uh, but do not automatically define secular as bad. 
That's a, that's a, a common note in our community. It's a reality, good or bad, it's a reality. And the point we're hinting at is that a lot of our religious life might be more secular than we realize it. That's the key point that we're gonna really be discussing throughout the whole course of this. Does that mean it's bad? No, what it actually just means is that it's not, it's religion that is not practiced, not practicing. It's the illusion of practice. Okay, having said that, any last questions, comments, reflections about anything? Good to see you, the old crowd, especially Brother Sharif. Yeah, yeah it's good to see you, Dr. Professor. Yeah. yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> nice and relaxed in the back. Dr. Sharif is like, you already know all this stuff. I gotta be teaching all of you. Yeah, yeah that's what I was surprising. He's not, he didn't say a single thing. He's, he's taking uh, the, the uh, Diego Maradona approach, which is he's just going slow, 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 and then he's going to go in and, and, and attack. So, yeah. Any other thoughts, reflections? So in the next week, what, which pages we should read uh, for coming to well, the I would say read everything at your own speed. More than likely, uh, in any specific discussion, uh, if we make it through more than a paragraph or two, then, then we're going pretty fast. Yeah, and one thing is came to my mind after the Khalis question is that you know that I think the traditionalist per se is is the most learned and knowledgeable people. So how we can make them to be our leader or guider guides mm-hmm. to get us into that journey of adoption yeah. of modernist or modernity, and you know just create like a guardrail within the religion so we can able we did not just deny. But we have to just adapt what is good coming out of it. So, so I'll answer this question, inshallah, uh, a few ways, just as an initial answer. First question, is this class a religious class or a secular class? How do we figure that out? None. <laughs> secular religious class. Or secular. Yeah. Uh, what were you saying for that? The secular class. <laughs> Depends on your intention, I guess. Because <laughs> intention is part of it, absolutely. Yeah. And so, so as as Batra said, and as Muhammad Mohib said, there is this there is this important aspect of intentions. And so, I would suggest if the result is that there's no change in your thinking, then this class is a waste of time for you. But if this results in some shift in your action action, which could be that you're trying to be more conscious of the things that you do, then this is a class of Dean. So the, the, the question Brother Mullah had asked, right, yeah. that the, how we really take uh, the um, uh, traditional uh, uh, people like scholars, let me give the really the open version, light Mullahism, right? We sometimes we try to cover the you know the, these things with the nice fancy words, but really that's what it is in, in the end. Um, these how we can really uh, capitalize on them, really making them aware of you know this this part of modernity and you know secularism and you know many of uh, they may have a lot more secularism in them than they realize, right? This is one of the things that we learn today, right? That we may have more. Uh, practices and things really very secular in nature that we're just not aware of. What history has told us, you know, the Quranic history, you know, when the, uh, when the Islam came and, 
you know, the attitude of the learned people at that time, you know, the, the, especially the people of the ink, you know, Ahbar, Rahban, right? The, uh, the rabbis and the, the priests, uh, their attitude, right? Similarly, going back to the Isa Islam time, you know, how uh, he was really, uh, his movement or his uh, risala was put down by really the established uh, gangism or, you know, this mullahism of that time, right? Because the, uh, one of the argument is that because at that time, I mean, in the Bani Israel, there always used to be two uh, prophets present. So why they did not really accept Isa Islam, for example? And one of the reasons that I was reading in one of the, the books was because the, the, the institution of the mullahs were really more connected and helping each other were more reinforced together. So they really together, they really rejected. So the, to answer Malat's question is that, you know, even though we are uh, asked to make the, the, the struggle as much as we can, you know, at the level of, you know, at the good speech, uh, but using wisdom and then really, you know, uh, having an argument, you know, the best argumentation way. But really, uh, I don't want to sound like, you know, the bro broken record or a pessimistic person over here. But in my experience, you know, they are so much into their own world that they have defined. And it is seems almost impossible to really penetrate. And, they, you know, uh, there are exceptions, but really... Uh, it's very, it's very difficult. I mean, they will be just toppled over, basically. It's the same thing like, you know, making the, calling the printing, printing press haram, and then really later on, everybody started using it, everybody using it. So one very funny question here that really related to the same thing. Somebody asked this question in one of the, the, the ulama forum that we have, right? And we have much a lot of great ulama in there and muftis and all that. Somebody asked the simple question that, you know, why the genes wearing jeans is halal now. Dr. Saab, I mean, you are mashallah hafiz. You are also, a, 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 you know, a, a doctor now, you know, tenacious, you know, the respiratory doctor. And I see, you know, all of you are now wearing pants. Not too long ago, I know that in ICS in Chicago, you know, there was the, the, the they said that anybody who wears jeans don't come to the masjid. So what made it halal now? So their response was, I couldn't believe my ears. They said, well, because, you know, everybody is wearing now. So this is not like, it doesn't fall under So this is no longer right, right? The, you are, a, you belong to the people who really you resemble, right? Who you copy. So what does that mean? I, and then I said, okay, well, this means that the people who really actually started the Renaissance, the people who really started wearing this, they are Jahannami. They are Dozhi because they were doing something bad but they made things halal for you now because now it's more common. Mm -hmm. So what I'm saying is that they're not going to change, they will be replaced. And the internet and Mufti, Google, and because they have closed their doors. Even yesterday there was a discussion, you know, you come and you sit and you have this other, you come and you really make these connections with the ulama and you really, you know, carry groceries for them and all that, and then they will really answer your questions. So what I'm saying to, to Malah's question is, I mean, these are just my uh, uh, things that they will be replaced. I mean, it's, uh, we can make try, but really, this is the, the history and the Quranic history and the, the time, the history tells us that really, uh, that mentality cannot be really changed. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, <clears throat> uh, I would uh, sort of summarize and in some cases rephrase the points that you're making. That fundamentally what you're saying is, is that 
that class of, 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 of scholars, uh, one of the ways they've become irrelevant and ineffective is that their tools for determining things um, uh, have become irrelevant. So, you know, how do they determine that, that genes are haram? You know, they use their tools of reasoning to determine it's haram. And then how do they do determine it's halal? They use their terms of reasoning. But you're saying if you just look at it with any sense, okay, what is the issue here? But, uh, it's almost like they're overcomplicating things. And that is one of the issues of the day uh, that your education, whether you're just going through primary school or your professional education, your, 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 your alimia studies, uh, education should give you tools, but it's also giving you restrictions too. It's also putting you in a particular prison. And so one of the histories, and going back to Malahat's questions, one of the histories of the, of, 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 of uh, the ulama is the reviving or revising of the education, meaning their tools. But there's more, there's more, because uh, uh, I, was, I was mentioning that there's other aspects also to, to answering or giving partial answer to your question, uh, which that I'll save for, for, for another time, inshallah. Okay, very good. Uh, and so, so hopefully, hopefully some or all of you found uh, today's session to be of benefit, inshallah. We're now at 11.30 Chicago time. And uh, uh, we'll continue next week. Next week, I'm actually not going to be in Chicago, so I'll have to make sure I get all the internet uh, stuff figured out uh, in time. There's a small possibility that in the last minute, I might have to uh, cancel class. That's only because my uh, vaccination time slot's like 8.30 a.m. So things should be fine, but um, uh, I'll let uh, Malahat know if I'm having a problem, inshallah. But otherwise, uh, we will see you. Uh, hopefully, you'll, you'll rejoin us next week. And, and all of you should feel comfortable. You know, you don't have to feel that, okay, Khaled is the only person speaking. He's also comfortable with everyone else. Too. We can make sure that if you're, if you're not able to join, we can have Dr. Nasser to take it over. Because the, after your six classes, he, he's writing a paper on the modernity, white paper, which we're going to discuss. And I'm going to be right behind him. He knows that. Okay, well, we can, we can, I'm more than happy to let Dr. Nasser take over the whole class too, yeah. inshallah. Yeah. So yeah. Brother Malahat, can you send the link really for the book? Uh, just to be yeah, specific. I will. Okay, inshallah. Yeah, I want to buy that book too. Yeah. Alrighty. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastafirika wa natubi ilaik. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastafirika wa natubi ilaik. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastafirika wa natubi ilaik. May Allah reward you all, inshallah. Get to see uh, very, very many familiar faces and familiar names, and we will connect. Salaam alaikum, everyone. Salaam alaikum.